my name's Matt. If you don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Liberty Church. Uh, in a moment or two, we're going to watch a video um, that's going to share a little bit about, before we get into our message today, that's going to share a little bit about what we're doing together here in this city, but also working with other churches. We're part of a wider family of churches, uh, brothers and sisters who are working together to serve and to start new churches just like Liberty Church here in cities just like our city uh, across Europe and further afield. Uh, and in two weeks' time, on the 16th of May, we're going to have a gift day and we're all going to raise lots of money to give into the mission of God and what God has called us to. So we're just going to watch a video now that's just going to uh, share a little bit more about all of that. Over the course of just a few years, we've been able to see churches established already in several key cities. And there are more to come with church planters, families, teams already gathering. One of the things that we're called to do is to plant churches in cities like here in Amsterdam, in places like Krakow in Poland, Belfast, Bath, Ottawa in Canada, in London. We want to do that because we want to see Jesus made famous in these cities. I just wanted to say how excited I am to be working with different churches across the world at the moment with Joel and other leaders. It's been great getting together with them on a regular basis. In the beginning of 2020, I joined the team here at Mosaic in Berlin. And one of the first things I immediately fell in love with is our togetherness with other churches in other cities. We're together as churches in relationship we're going to be taking up an offering to serve local churches that are going to be planted into some of the most influential cities across the world. One of the things I love about occasions like this is that we can join together and raise money for other situations. So just in the same way that we were helped as a church by the generosity of others, we now get to join in and help other church plant situations. Hi, my name's Malcolm, this is Megan. 15 months ago, we moved from Benoni in South Africa. as We were leading a church there and felt God speak to us about moving to Bath to plant a church here. Hey, welcome to Belfast, we're the Makushas. We moved over to Belfast in June last year. And since then, we've been kind of focusing on um, settling our family. And we've also been growing our church family. We've got a team of around about 20 people now and we meet every week on Zoom. My name is Janusz Lasz. I am church planter in Krakow, Poland. Krakow is connected to every social part of life in Poland. It's connected to every politician, almost all of the artists, to all the science. I'm just really excited to be planting a church here to make Jesus famous, to draw people in, to make disciples, and just to help people grow in their relationship with God. We started as a two couples and quickly God blessed us, giving us few more people. We had four baptisms in August, done twice Alpha, and now at the end of the year, we are meeting as a 15, 17 people on Sunday gatherings. We are proper excited to see the Holy Spirit move in power in this city, to see people baptized, to see people putting their trust in Jesus, and this little country being restored and renewed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. In the last couple of weeks, we've been connecting with a church here in Bath, a new church, a church that's been ongoing for just for a few years. And they've asked us to, to journey with them as they're going through a bit of a transition. And so we're excited to see what God is doing there with that group of people. 
we are really blessed by being connected to you. Please pray for us to grow up up to 50 people. This is our dream. We are now about 17, so it would be huge multiplication. It's a real joy for us to be partnering with churches around the world, churches that are in significant cities, cities that set the culture in their countries. And, and we are excited to partner with you. We're praying with you and for you. We're so joyed to hear that you're praying for us and standing with us. We really have an opportunity now to say to them, hey, we stand with you. We love you. We believe in you. We encourage you. We pray for you. We're together in this. You're not alone in this. At Mosaic Berlin, we have been on the receiving end of this. And so now it is our privilege to also be a part of this gift day and pass it on uh, so that hopefully what God did here in Berlin, uh, similar things can also happen in many other cities as well. We don't get to just plant these churches by ourselves, but we do it together. We here in Amsterdam, we're excited about helping to plant churches in Belfast, in Bath, in Krakow, being part of something together, of serving, blessing, encouraging one another. It feels very much like the story you read in the book of Acts. I see kind of a couple of reasons why I think this is really important for us as people to give into what God is doing. Firstly, I think just giving to the work of God for the extension of the kingdom around the world is an exciting thing to do. But secondly, I'd also encourage you to give because giving as an act of obedience to God brings blessing to the individual. Friends, we can't really lose. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. You cannot lose when you, with a big, generous, loving, risk-taking heart, show his church to be your greatest priority. And it really is. Jesus is building his church. It's his urban dream. It's the thing that he considers the most important thing in all of human affairs. And we get to partner with him in doing that. And so I want to encourage you to be praying for all the different churches that we're in relationship with, but specifically be asking God God, God, what can I give? How can I contribute towards this offering to further the work of King Jesus across the world? In the light of everything that we've just heard and seen, can I encourage you to take action? This is the moment to take action. This is the moment to pray. Be aware of what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. I just encourage you, just remember how generously God has dealt with us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take this moment and be generous ourselves. Okay, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, um, we're going to get straight into it this morning. I'm going to read to you quite a long passage, um, but it's very much worth reading, so just stick with me as we go through it. The words will appear as if by magic on this screen next to me, or you can look it up uh, on your phone or in your Bible if you've got one in front of me. I'm going to read from verse 12 of Ephesians 1 through the end to the end of chapter 2 it says this i the preacher have been king over israel in jerusalem and i applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven it is an unhappy business that god has given to the children of man to be busy with i've seen everything that is done under the sun and behold all is vanity and a striving after wind what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly 
I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards to myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom and folly as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labours under the sun. Because sometimes a person who is taught with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner... 
He has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us through this story today, that it would bring life to us and show us more of your wonderful love and joy that's available to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've been started this series last week in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, looking at what it is to know wisdom in a world around us that often refuses to make sense. What is it to know true wisdom? And this morning we're going to press into that question a little bit more and ask, what is it to know the life of, of joy and of goodness? Because in this story that we've just read, we find this story appears to be about King Solomon. And in a sense, this is a bit like a, a kind of a, an autobiography or a biopic, a movie. You think of uh, the movie about Freddie Mercury, Bohemian Rhapsody, or Michael Jordan's story on Netflix, The Last Dance. It's, this story goes through Solomon's life. And he tells these tales of everything that he's tried. Uh, he tests this idea that life seems to be vanity. This word we were looking at last week, this idea of life being just a vapor. Something that as soon as you feel like you've got your hands on it has slipped away. That life so often films devoid of meaning and purpose. So he's taking this big idea, which is what this book is, uh, a lot of it is about, and he's testing it through the story of his life. He's testing it, trying to find something. And his first test that he looks at is this idea of wisdom, of knowledge, of education. Is this going to be the answer? Can Information bring transformation, seems to be what Solomon's asking. And there are two little proverbs that are dropped into this text. First of all, in verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. And then in verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And he seems to be saying that first of all, knowledge is limited. Wisdom is, has limits to it, that you can get all the qualifications you want. You can keep going back to school and college and university and soak up as many facts as you can. You can scour through the internet and, and build your life on just getting more knowledge, more ideas, more ways of trying to understand and interpret the world. But ultimately, they can't fix everything. That some things in life are crooked and wisdom can't make them straight. That there's a brokenness around us in all of creation since the fall. There's this brokenness that we have to navigate through in life. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes ideas and philosophies and plans just can't quite interpret the world, or at least in any way that gives us any joy. And he also seems to be saying here that in, 
in the feeding of more wisdom, in a sense, he who increases knowledge, as it says here, increases sorrow. The qualifications, being the most qualified person, being an expert in your field, being the best at what you do, won't make you happy. That's what he seems to be saying here. He almost seems to be saying, is ignorance bliss? Is, is that the secret for happiness, just to know nothing at all, just to live in a sense of blissful ignorance? No, I don't think he's saying that at all. But he's saying that if we build our life on a foundation of just getting more knowledge, just getting more education, more wisdom, will be like, he uses this phrase a few times in this passage, a, a striving after the wind. Or another way you could interpret it would be like herding the wind. It's like trying to herd cats, trying to grasp hold of the wind in your hand. You, you, you can't. You might feel for a moment that you're on the cusp of it and then it's gone, it disappears. So he, this first test here, he tests wisdom, knowledge, will information transform me and his answer is no and then he he puts this second test in place at the start of chapter two he says I said in my heart come now I will test you with pleasure enjoy yourself so he tries pleasure indulgence more experiences more possessions more pleasures of life. Surely that will be the answer for Solomon. Will pleasure bring him joy? And he, he sort of has a bit of a list that he, he goes through, a sort of different levels, different experiences that he tries. So first of all, he tries, I guess, what we could call distraction. He tries laughter. He tries wine. And he says that these things are, are just vanity. And that might seem a bit silly perhaps, but we do the same. All the time we try and distract ourselves, particularly when we've experienced some of the crookedness of life and when we've tried to make it straight and we can't. We, we just distract ourselves. We just, a little bit of of pleasure, just to, just to take our minds off of it. There was a, a man on the streaming channel Twitch who broadcast his life 24-7 for over a month. He was in the news a few weeks ago, Ludwig Aaron. And uh, you could just tune in. He had, I think at the peak, there was nearly half a million people who were just watching him do his life. And he brought himself a red sports car for a bed not an actual red car, just a bed that looked like a car. And you could just tune in and watch him sleep in his sport car bed. It's a bit weird. But that's partly what sometimes our life amounts to. Just something that when you describe it sounds ridiculous. But that's often where we go to. Just any distraction. Or just watch someone else's life even the mundanity of someone else's life. Maybe that will distract me from the crookedness of my own life. And then what Solomon tries next is possessions. Of, he tries, 
I guess what we'd call consumerism, materialism. He just gets more stuff. He just fills his house with more. If, if this was written today, he'd be buying all the latest. He'd be, his house would be an Apple store. It would just be full of devices, things, full of, of, of just stuff that he's, he's kind of all pulled together. And he creates almost, what he tries to do is he tries to create himself his own little garden paradise. It's almost like there's some kind of echo from the Garden of Eden pulsating in his heart. So he says, I made myself gardens and parks. I planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. He's trying to create his own personal paradise. And again, how often do we do the same thing? And we might not want a big mansion and parks and fruit trees, but in our little space that we call home, in the confines of our own life, we try and create what we might imagine to be our own little paradise. Or in our head, the things that we dream of, the house we'd like to live in one day, the family that we'd like to have, the car we'd like to drive, the accomplishments we'd like to have achieved. In our minds, we can imagine this paradise that we've written for ourselves, and we can spend our lives trying to, trying to create it just trying to create what might be perfect for us. And he even, he even fills his life with possessions and even uses people as, as that. This passage, it talks about slavery, of how he acquired himself more slaves, concubines even. And the Bible doesn't, condone this action and it might be easy if you're reading this to to feel a sense of wanting to stand in judgment over Solomon and perhaps we should he's tried to make himself happy by uh, buying people and using them as his possession as evil but we mustn't miss how again we do the same perhaps not to the same degree but we can often use people around us and treat them as just another possession. In our, in our homes, if you're a parent, sometimes you can use your children in that sense. You want to control them. You want them to speak when you want them to speak and be quiet when you want them to be quiet. And if they don't, you'll use force even, perhaps, to control them or to manipulate them. We're just using people as our possessions. In our relationships, we do the same thing. We, we, rather than, as the Bible teaches us, to love people sacrificially, instead what we do is we use people as, as vehicles for our own human happiness. And if they're not making me happy, I'll just write them out of my story. I'll just mute them on WhatsApp. I'll just unfollow them on social media. I've just, I've just had, had enough of that voice in my life. Just erase them. And if people don't fit in with our worldview, if they don't agree with our politics, if they don't share our same beliefs, we'll just find someone that does instead. And we just use people as our own possessions to bring us our own happiness. 
And next, what Solomon tries is status, greatness. It says in verse 9, I became great and surpassed all who were before me. And again, we often try and do the same thing. We might not be the sort of person that wants to climb the career tree. We might not want to be the top dog in our organization or in our family. But yet, we want to control our environment. We want things to work around us. We want life to tick around us. We want to be great in our sphere of influence, whatever that might look like. We want to control life. Because we believe that if we can do that, then all these different pleasures we try, maybe they'll, maybe they'll work. Maybe that's the missing piece. Maybe that's why life isn't enjoyable, because I'm just not quite in control of it. If I try all these experiences again, but with some added control on trot, maybe that will bring joy to it. But as Solomon testifies here, all was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So then Solomon puts in place another test. He, he, he uses um, like wise living. Perhaps what we might call it sort of, he focuses on his lifestyle, on his wellness, which sounds, sounds very now. Sounds like he's written this just a few years ago. We're in it today even. Because we can look back at sort of what we've just read about of his, I guess what you could call his hedonism, his just kind of wild, just do everything and anything to give me pleasure. And we can think, oh, that's so 1990s. Like, we don't do that anymore. Now everything's about controlling my life, of restricting my life, of exercising three times a week, of eating five fruit and veg, of caring for my skin and for my well-being, for the environment around me of putting strict kind of confines on my life for saying the right things and not saying the wrong things. We live so often in a very puritanical world where we have to follow the rules to say the right thing, do the right thing, where, where the best way to find joy in life is to be wise in how you do everything. And there may be lots of wisdom there but does it bring joy, like lasting, real, deep, permanent joy? Does it give you a real sense of meaning and purpose, hope, peace? Well, let's ask Solomon for his answer, having tried all these things. In verse 17, he says, so I hated life. Solomon appears a bit of a glass half empty kind of guy, doesn't he? So I hated life. See, his summary after all these tests, he's tried everything, everything. He's tried this and that, this again and that again, and he's built all these different structures. He's tried to construct the perfect life for himself. And yet what it results in is bitter disillusionment. He looks back on his life and says, well, there's no joy there. It was just vanity. It was just a striving after the wind. 
And you've got to understand, Solomon was, the way this chapter talks about him and his greatness that surpassed everybody else, he, he, he did this to the best possible extent. It's not that you can just look at this and think, well, I can do it better. <laughs> you know, he just wasn't doing it right. This is, this is like the, the most famous influencer on Instagram. You go on and you look on the story of his life and it'd be filled with all the best holidays and the best clothes. He'd be living his best life now as it would appear. And yet he says, I hated life. There was no real joy or happiness there. And then if we move on to verse 24, we find what may appear to be kind of a shift in the story, or maybe it's just, just fatalism from Solomon. He says, there's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. There was an English, well there is, he's still alive, an English comedian called Bill Bailey who wrote a poem about the paradox, the suffering of Western existence, as he called it. And it goes like this. In this mad world, spun fast, for nothing lives fly past. Helplessly we look on aghast. Ooh, cake! And that could sound a little bit like what this verse is like. That in the face of all the trial and pain of life, here's some cake. Here's a temporary joy. Here's some food and drink. Here's some, a little tiny nugget of enjoyment in life. But actually this verse is saying something much more profound than that. You see, life, life is to be enjoyed. Everything I've said so far might sound a bit bleak, a bit depressing, but life is to be enjoyed. As a Christian, to, to have pleasure isn't evil. It's a good thing. Even to pursue pleasure, to want to have more pleasure in your life, to want to enjoy life more, it's a good thing. It is. It's a good thing. It's good news for us. It really is. What's bad news is, as Tim Keller talks about, the preacher, he talks about taking some incomplete joy of the world and building our life upon it. See, when you do that, that's, that's idolatry. When you take, you know, one of all these many things that we've talked about, many of these many things that Solomon has tried, maybe it's education, maybe that's what you're trying to build your life upon, just more wisdom, more knowledge. You think that will give you the answers, so that's what you're building your life upon. Maybe it's family and relationships, maybe it's more possessions and more stuff, maybe it's your sex life, whatever it is that you're trying to find fullness from, they may all be good things, but when you make them God things, when you try and make them the center of your life, the thing that's gonna give you meaning and purpose, they're just incomplete joys. They will fade and fail. See, God wants, he wants happiness for you. But all the little happinesses in life, all these little nuggets and experiences we can have, and we can get even happiness, as it says here, from food and drink. 
from just the simple pleasures in life that God's given them to us so we can have happiness. But all of them are, as Jonathan Edwards talked about, they're but scattered beams, but God is the sun. All these little things in life we can enjoy, yes, there's good there, but they point to a greater good. You know, when we hear someone, someone sing so beautifully and we say, oh, they've got like a voice of an angel, or we taste food and we think, oh, that's like a taste of heaven. There's a meaning to those phrases more than we really understand. It is that even that gift of enjoying food is a, a heavenly provision to us that points us to a greater glory that we get to have in Jesus Christ. See, life is to be enjoyed, and enjoyment is a gift. As it says here, see, this also I saw is from the hand of God. See, enjoyment is God's gift to us. It's his provision to us, even in life, now, today. There's a one-day eternal joy that he's laid aside for us that is perfect and complete. But even now, today, there's joy that he's set aside for us. He doesn't just want joy for us, he gives it to us as his gift. And it's important, I think that perhaps this is one of the secrets to really enjoying life, is when we treat those little enjoyments as, as gifts rather than rights, we find a wonderful release there. If we believe everything that we, 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 we it's, it's our, it, we must have these things, it's, it's our right that I get this, it's my right that I have this relationship I want, it's my right that I have this career, this opportunity, and when we hit barriers that we can't get past, when we hit the crookedness of life, that's where we'll struggle. But when we see them as, as gifts that God's given us, gifts in the midst of brokenness and incompleteness, when we can find God's joy and grace in them, when we see even the things he's given us, even money and wealth, when we see it as things God's given us to steward rather than possessions, it, it will just change the attitude of your heart. For you begin to cheat, treat your, your wage slip every month as money God's given you to steward rather than a possession for you to, to crave over. It will, you'll, you'll find your heart wonderfully released. If you watched that video earlier on and you felt a kind of a rise in your heart of, well, how dare they ask me to give my money away? Maybe that's because you're treating money as your possession. See, I want to watch a video like that and think, what can I give? <laughs> where can we find some money to put into this where can we find something to put into the wonderful work that God's doing on planet earth today enjoyment is a gift and finally the wonderful good news is that Jesus has he's won this joy for us he's won joy for us it says in in the gospel of Matthew that there's there's one greater than Solomon who's come. There's one who surpasses all of Solomon's greatness and comes not just to, to feed off all the different experiences of life to try and bring himself pleasure. There's one who's come and died a crooked death to give us life, to give us fullness of joy. 
this come, one who's come to restore the broken garden paradise so that we can live forever with him in paradise. See, if we understand life as a, a puzzle that we've got to try and interpret and understand, we'll always be bashing up against that crookedness. But yet if we see life as a, a gift to us to be enjoyed for the glory of God, you'll find wonderful peace and joy within that. The early church father Ignatius said this, the aim of life is not to gain a place in the sun, nor to achieve fame or success, but to lose ourselves in the glory of God. See, that's a, that's a, a statement that we can define our lives by. I just want to lose myself in the glory of God. I just want to lose myself in, in relationship with him, in knowing his joy, his peace, won for us by Jesus on the cross. Let me finish by reading a verse that we often turn to, but it's a beautiful verse, and then we're going to respond in worship. It says this in Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that in you we can know fullness, we can know joy, even in the midst of suffering. The way the Bible speaks about joy, it's not that all pain and suffering has to be eradicated and then we find joy. But right in the midst of the crookedness of life, there's joy to be had as a gift from you. And there's lots of small, temporary, short bursts of joy that we can enjoy, but all of them point to the greater joy that we have in you. They're just small beams of sunlight, but you're the sun. They're just small trickles and streams, but you're the ocean. Jesus, and we just want to throw ourselves into the ocean of your goodness and of your joy. I just pray right now that as we worship the Holy Spirit, you just come and overwhelm our hearts again. We thank you, Holy Spirit. You're the joy bringer. And we pray as we sing now, you bring deep joy and peace in our hearts. That you'd help us to bring all our sufferings and pains and frustrations and delays and disappointments, all the things that we've been trying to find hope in, all these incomplete joys we've been building a life upon. Help us just to bring them to you now and say, Jesus, just you have them. Let them be your possessions and let me receive from you the gift of your goodness and fullness. In Jesus' name, amen.